So historically, we've seen radio, TV, newspaper, all those things, the traditional side. Now you got digital side, the different channels that take place, the different social media channels that come and go. So I think it's one thing to understand how those things work in real time because you're trying to stay up to date with what's happening and what's working right now. However, that is more of a race that you're constantly running. You know, that's more of the marathon of marketing, I think, because you're, you constantly need to stay on top of it to learn what's happening and what's changing. Having said that, I think there are certain things that don't change. The fundamentals of marketing don't change. It's always been about the customer, no matter what. So what I mean by that is as a marketer, if I can take my own ambitions and my own needs out of the equation and I put their needs and wants first, that's a great place to start. I can build on that. So at the end of the day, it really is about what's worked 20 years ago, 50 years ago, and what still works now. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode, and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, hop.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm delighted to be with Drew Brucker. Drew is the VP of Growth at Lasso, a Series A SaaS company that provides workforce management software and a marketplace for the live events industry. Drew spent the first half of his career in sales before pivoting to marketing, where he found his true passion. In just six years, he's risen from an entry-level marketer to a vice president, sitting on the executive team at his current company. Drew is also a daily content contributor on LinkedIn with posts centered around marketing and self-optimization. Outside of work, Drew is also a professional photographer with his works appearing in a handful of publications. He's married and lives in a house full of women, his wife, his twin daughters, his nanny, and his two dogs. He's outnumbered six to one, and we agreed none of us are complaining about that. So with that, Drew, welcome to the show. Hey, Paris. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. I want to talk about your career success so far. There's been, a looks like a fairly meteoric rise from entry-level marketing when you decided to switch over from sales into marketing. And one of the things that you attribute that to is your curiosity. And this is something that is also a really key attribute or character that we really look for in our agency all the time, because I, I just believe that no one has all the answers and it's the curious yeah. people who can find the answers the fastest. What does that mean to you? And why is curiosity one of the keys to your career success so far? Yeah. Curiosity to me is a core competency fully. I think especially when you get into anything that requires creativity, imagination, you're trying to learn, build empathy. It's, there's just so many use cases for it. And I think it plays anywhere, right? So no matter where you go, what company you work for, what position you're in, curiosity is going to get you closer to where you want to be and what you want to find out. And it'll do that quicker than any other skill or characteristic that I found. And I think for someone like me, that's you know, sort of bounced around with all these different things that I find interesting, curiosity has really underpinned all of that. And I attribute a lot of that, you know, individual success or just career success to that characteristic alone. I think it really provided the spark for me to maintain, you know, interest and excitement and enthusiasm for what I'm doing. 
It's great. Another another topic that also came up was the degree of focus and performance in the workplace. And so curiosity allows you, I believe, to ask the right questions to guide you into, into answers in new situations. And then you have focus and performance in the workplace. How do you combine that with curiosity? What do you mean by the focus and performance in the workplace? Yeah, there's just this um, constant need for our attention, whether it's whether we're at work or at home and, and with our devices that we're just constantly being pulled to. And so I think maybe I'm a little bit extra sensitive to this. Uh, I do have ADHD, so I am constantly being pulled or feel like I'm being pulled in all these different directions and things that require my attention. And, and that can be a number of things, right? It's, it's the emails coming through. It's the notifications that are coming through on my phone, on my laptop, the Slack messages that take place. The things that I already know that I have on my calendar that I know I have to do, whether that's a meeting or time to work on a project. And, you know, it's just, it's so, so hard. It's almost like an art form now to really nail down. So I think there's just so many pieces of that that are very hard to really wrap your arms around. I think, first of all, you know, with a small company in general and, you know, the quick paced nature of what you're in, you have the necessity of choice. You have to first prioritize the priorities. What are the things that you need to focus on, right? So you have to back up and say, okay, I've got 20 things on my to-do list today, which is insane. I'm not going to get all these things done. What are the three to five things that I absolutely have to get done or that are going to make me feel like I crushed today? So I think that's part of it. Then you've also got performance load, right? How much you can actually take on at any given time. Then you've got, you know, how you feel throughout the day. You know, all of us have natural energy cycles that are different. Maybe I work better and focus better in the morning. Some people may do it better in the afternoon or at night. So I need to play to those energy cycles as well. And then going back to what we were just talking about with Slack and email, at what point, you know, do you take inventory of the communication overhead that exists? How many times you're getting pinged and talking about the things that you're going to do versus actually doing them? And then, you know, lastly, it just comes down to discipline and having the self-discipline to move your phone out of the room, turn on, do not disturb, you know, grab your headphones and put on, you know, some tracks that don't have lyrics where you can actually think deeply about things. So I think that conversation in general is just very interesting to me because I know a lot of people are struggling with it at the moment. Mm -hmm. Drew, have you heard of the concept of deep work? Have you come yes. across that? Yes. Um, it's something that we tried to implement and I believe we still are implementing it in our company, but to actually ask people to block off certain hours out of each week for deep work. Is, yeah. is that something that you practice and is that part of your ability to focus in on performance? It is something I practice. I, I will say that I have not fully nailed it down yet, right? Like I've got some blocks of time dedicated where I call it diffuse thinking, where I'm just focusing on trying to think creatively or I'm trying to do deep work, right? Like that's, that's also the interesting thing about the company I'm at right now, Lasso. I am a VP, but there is no middle management right now in the organization where we're at in terms of size. And so not only am I doing strategy, but I'm also doing some of the tactical work, right? So how do you balance that? And so deep work is absolutely a part of it. I think where I struggle is sometimes I've got it blocked. I get the reminder and it's like, hey, buddy, like now's the time to focus and, and do deep work. But still, there'll be something and I get pulled off track even for a second and I've lost 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, the whole idea of the time it takes to get refocused, it's somewhere around like 15, 20, 25 minutes. And so that's something that I struggle with. I think I've, sometimes I nail it, sometimes I don't, but I think that's where it comes down to the self-discipline. Mm -hmm. And this is probably all exacerbated by working in a startup because you all, Lasso is still in startup mode, is it not? As a series A? 
Yeah, technically, yep. Mm-hmm. So how, do, how does working in a startup also play into all of the, the issues around optimizing your time and your performance? The first thing I think about is even just our goals and ambitions, they have short cycles, you know, meaning when you talk about the products that we have now, the products that we're going to have, thinking about what we're trying to accomplish now versus what we're trying to accomplish three months from now, even on a quarterly basis, right? It's very interesting to look back and say, okay, you know, in January of Q1, we were thinking these were the major things that we wanted to do and get done. And I think most of that still holds true, right? But once you get to late March and April, you're just like, wow, we have totally different needs now. Things have changed quite drastically, whether that's because there's a new product rolling out or potentially, right, we've just discovered other opportunities that have taken prioritization along the way. And so that I think is what's really interesting to me. I've worked in a startup environment before, but I think this is a little bit, this is even faster than I've been in previously in terms of how much changes in those short cycles. And so that's the first thing I go back to. And then something I just touched on earlier is the priorities and and prioritizing the right priorities. There's not a lot of time to be wasted. We've got very ambitious goals. We've got really big things that we're trying to do. And so if we lose a few days, a few weeks doing something that just doesn't matter, we feel that, right? And so having that constant attention and North Star, if you will, of what we're trying to go toward and say, hey, look, this is what we said we're going to focus on. Does this directly roll up to it? Nope. Okay. Or this moves down the list or it goes off completely, or we just defer it to later. Those are the two things that I see quite frequently just in my time here in the last year and a half. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about Lasso. And and it's really interesting that I'll let you describe it. What, What does Lasso do in a nutshell? Yeah. So I think the simplest way for people that aren't in the industry is workforce management software for live events. When you think of any live event that takes place, any corporate event, any tour, any concert, any sporting event, there is a company behind the scenes that is doing the work. We show up, right? And we see the show and then we leave. But what happens before the show, during the show and after, we we don't really see all that goes into it. And we service those companies by providing software that allows them to schedule, communicate, time track, payroll, travel, the whole nine with their people. And so what that looks like is, you know, if we're talking about, let's just call it a concert, right? We may have video guys, lighting guys, audio guys, people that are setting up the stage. Those people all work for the company that we service, right? So we're essentially helping that company plan and communicate with those folks in real time and provide those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Now, that's sort of one segment. The other side of this is we also provide a dual-sided marketplace for those audio, video, lighting, staging people. A lot of them are freelancers. They don't necessarily work for one company full-time. So they may need other work outside of you know the one, two, or three companies that they currently work for. So we provide an opportunity where if they sign up, we can expose them to more opportunities that exist in their market based on their experience, the gear that they use, the types of jobs they have, any sort of specialties they have. And so we connect the companies that may need extra people to the crew that maybe need the companies for more gigs. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm very curious to know about the events industry as a whole and how fast it's rebounded after COVID. Do you have any statistics or any information to share? I know events are back and I've been to them, so I can confirm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But how, how much are they back? I mean, what can you share with us? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I think uh, I do have a stat. I don't have it right in front of me, but I do have an indication that 2021 is going to outperform 2019, which I think says a lot, right? In 2019, events had nothing holding them back. 
right? Mm -hmm. Nothing. I think you can make an argument that events were in full swing in 2019. And so 2021 is going to outperform that. The thought, or I'm sorry, 2022. I was going to ask, yeah, 2022. Sorry, I'm losing. I lost a year somewhere in there. Uh, 2022 is going to outperform that. And 2023 is going to outperform 2022 by all indications. Mm -hmm. And I I think I saw it firsthand, you know, last week, I was at an event in Boston, uh, inbound with, with other marketers. And that was my first event as an attendee. I don't know, maybe in a couple, yeah, probably at least two or three years now. The excitement that people had, just the buzz, and I think the openness in networking and communicating in person was different than I had ever seen. Historically, I haven't been a huge networker, but I think as of late, I have been. So I think that's also part of it. But I just can tell by the conversations that were taking place, people almost appreciated the conversations they were having more than the sessions that were taking place, right? And so I think that can be said. I think also, if we just look at it from a consumer standpoint, the concerts you've been to or any sporting event you've been to after 2020 is like, man, I can't wait to get back and, and yeah, feel the, the, you know, the energy of, right. The pent up demand is, is a perfect way to sum it up. So that's been the indication. That's a that's an awesome question. Yeah. It feels great to be back at events. Um, so back to, to the marketing side of things, um, you mentioned earlier, there's new marketing versus old marketing and how the fundamentals never change. What do you mean by that? Yeah, the the tactics I think of marketing are always changing and evolving, right? So the channels that are at play, how we reach somebody, um, you know, sort of the different tools in which we get there. I think all those things come and go. They evolve. I mean, even just in my time, you know, thinking about just 18 years ago when I graduated college or 18 years ago when I started college, Facebook was just out, right? No one knew the power of social media and digital marketing. Digital marketing wasn't even, I don't even know a term yet. Um, So it's just amazing how far we've come, right? Just in 18 years in that time period, how many things have changed with how we market? Now that's just going to continue to evolve, right? So historically, we've seen, you know, radio, TV, newspaper, all those things, the traditional side. Now you got digital side, the different channels that take place, the different social media channels that come and go. So I think it's one thing to understand how those things work in real time because you're trying to stay up to date with what's happening and what's working right now. However, that is more of a race that you're constantly running. You know, that's more of the marathon of marketing, I think, because you're, you constantly need to stay on top of it to learn what's happening and what's changing. Having said that, I think there are certain things that don't change. The fundamentals of marketing don't change. It's always been about the customer. No matter what, it's always been about the customer. So what I mean by that is as a marketer, if I can take my own ambitions and my own needs out of the equation and I put their needs and wants first, that's a great place to start. I can build on that. A lot of marketers just get in their own way because they prioritize, hey, what do I want to get out of this campaign? What do I want to get out of this ad? What do I want to get out of this conversation? What do we need to get? You know, what are we, what are some of the KPIs? eyes we need to see, right? We get, we get so entrenched in that and not so much involved in, hey, look, if we can talk about this more from a community standpoint where I'm not lecturing you as somebody from Lasso, but maybe I've got a couple of customers or maybe even just people in the space that we contribute to a community-based conversation and create awareness and have more of an organic discussion around things. By the way, you're going to make that connection that I may, that I work for Lasso and that's maybe a, a software tool that could help you, right? Like that is in a sense, the way that word of mouth marketing works, this whole dark social marketing works, but that is also still a 
fundamental of marketing. People tend to go down paths to buy things from people they trust. That goes beyond any sort of social proof you see on some website or even just a review standpoint. You never know if it's real or fake and you, know, you never see bad reviews posted on a B2B business's website. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, it really is about what's worked 20 years ago, 50 years ago, and what still works now. Mm -hmm. And what does, I guess, customer research and taking a customer-centric approach is, is key here. And what are some of the ways that you all do customer research at Lasso to keep your finger on the pulse of the customer? Yeah, one of, one of the great things and, and really best parts of the story with Lasso is our our founder came from the industry, was one of our, you know, in the shoes of one of our customers, understood that there was a need for something like this and has a great story about, you know, hey, you know, like this company flew somebody out here across the country just to, you know, give them a per diem and pay for all this and pay for all that, right? When they could have just found somebody that was qualified right here in the city that the event is, saved costs, right? Found somebody just as good that's vetted and put them on the show instead. Instead, that person sitting at home. So before they, you know, before we did anything, there was that connection to the industry, made for the industry, you know, by the industry. And they talked to, I don't know, I think the number is like 300 or 350 interviews before they even wrote a line of code for Lasso. You know, they really ingrained themselves and immersed themselves in the trenches of what problems people are having, what we need to be solved. You know, it's an industry that in a sense has been kind of stuck doing things the same way for a long time, which isn't totally uncommon, but that I think was the best place to start. Now, as a marketer, I think the other best place to start, especially when you first come on board, is to really understand the voice of the customer. One of the things that I've done is you know, try to communicate with as many customers as I can in a marketing conversation, in a one-on-one -on -one interview to really understand, hey, how did you hear about us? What was the research process like? What did trigger you, you know, to ultimately know that you had to make a change with what you, you were doing? You know, what's your experience been like with Lasso? Where do people like you go for information to stay in the know in the industry, you know, like really getting in the weeds with trying to understand how somebody first has a thought about that need, identify someone like Lasso, and then their experience after the fact. And so if I understand that, and I've had a number of those conversations, that gives me a lot more confidence in what I'm doing, and it takes the guesswork out of it. Uh, a lot of marketers are still guessing with some of the things that they're doing. I've fallen in that trap previously. I, I think it took me a few years to learn that, which I don't think is uncommon. It's just a, sort of a product of nature, but you, you really have to understand the customer and, and continue to have those conversations week in and week out. Mm -hmm. So that's the best way. I think having conversations with current customers is the easiest way for marketers to stay on the pulse. Something that's a little bit harder, but also has value would be former customers and people that have churned. There's still a lot that you can learn there. They're a little bit tougher to get a hold of and get on the phone. But if you can, there's still a lot of insights that you can be used and are extremely valuable, not only to marketing, but to sales, right? We, we know some of those things of why we lost somebody or why they didn't close. You know, maybe somebody made it to a demo, they saw the demo and they didn't close. Why? I mean, I have something in the CRM says timing, cost, right? But I think there's more to dig into there. And the benefit of that from a marketing standpoint is you're having these conversations in a less guarded way than you would be if you're just listening to a sales conversation or a demo. Anytime we're being sold to you, me, anybody else, there's still a layer up. You know, we don't, we don't reveal everything, but in these conversations with marketers, they do feel more comfortable. They know they're not being sold to and that we just, you know, I or anybody else just wants to understand their process and their motivations. That's great. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, 
a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. You touched on marketing and not only just picking up skills in the job, but also after hours marketing. What are some of the things that marketers can do or they can observe outside of working hours or outside of their formal job to become better marketers? <laughs> There's so many things. I think, you know, if you don't have a thousand screenshots of marketing campaigns or creatives on your phone, are you even in marketing? Um, yeah. I think that's just something that myself and I would say most marketers do is we're just constantly seeing other marketing. What stood out about this? Why did this capture my attention? Is there something that I can grab from this and use? So this whole concept of after hours marketing, or maybe let's just call it like the five to nine of marketing is that, you know, as marketers, you know, our brain never really shut off. And when you do things like you walk your dog or you're in the shower or right before bed, those are sometimes when you have the best ideas or when your brain is in a sort of a theta state where you're just a little bit more creative and those things come to you without you thinking very hard about them. I really invest a lot of energy in those activities. I think also I just, you know, had kids recently. So one of the things that I do is like whenever I take them for my a, a long walk in the afternoon or the evening, that's my chance to catch up on podcasts. That's my chance to like also not listen to anything and just think and be present and then also use my phone if I've got ideas. I almost use it as like a walking notebook, right? Something will spark. I type it in. I'll come back to it later. So I think I really believe in the five to nine as much as the the nine to five, because nine to five, we're so ingrained on what's going on, what's needed, what fires need to be put out, what projects are going on, what people do I need to talk to. Whereas the five to nine is to me is more of the creative session where I can actually digest and download things and then think about how I can use them at lasso or, you know, really dissect what's working well. And maybe is something that I need to learn more about. Mm -hmm. So with Lasso, uh, generally, what, what is your digital marketing strategy? What types of channels and overall, what's working for you all the most right now? Yeah, I think we are definitely in the mindset of community-led growth. We really understand that our industry needs, they need leaders. They need, they need outspokenness. I think our industry itself is very tight-knit and, and tight-knit offline, you know, not so much digitally. There is a presence digitally, don't get me wrong, but it's about who you know in real life. A lot of these people are calling and they have small circles or they have texts. I mean, it really is the old school word of mouth. And I think there are just so many good ideas and experiences that are trapped offline that we need to get more people talking about their experiences, enlightening the rest of us of how we move the industry forward. And so we're trying to raise the bar and almost bridge that gap. I think we recognize the need that we do need to create more content in the industry. We do need to have more outspokenness. We do need to challenge the status quo. And we really need to talk about the things, we really need to talk publicly about the things that 
a lot of these people are talking about privately and just just bring some light to it. And in terms of the channels, I think it's just we're in sort of still a, a testing phase in that regard because of, you know, the audience. A lot of conversations I had about, hey, where do you where do you go for industry news? You know, or how do you stay in the know with best practice about your job or this, that and the other? A lot of it is attend the trade show or I've got some people I've worked with for 15, 20 years and we talk and it's like, oh, wow. Right. Like so you're almost trying to not only change the behavior of using spreadsheets and status quo to software, but you're also trying to bring some of these conversations offline to online. And so I think that's also the challenge we have. Uh, but what we've seen some really recent success, I think, is along the lines of you know our podcast and some of the, the webinars that we're doing, some of the live sessions we're doing. We have a podcast called Corralling the Chaos with our president and CRO, Angela Alea, and she really dives into some of these things that we know are important that people are talking about, but you just don't see them on SEO, right? Like no one's going to, there isn't an article written for it where you're going to find it. And we need to basically invite the community to experience these things, talk about them out loud and share and where we're trying to go together as an industry. Interesting about the podcast that you're the president is the host. How important yeah. is it that for a company that launches a podcast, how important is it that someone at the level of CEO, president or founder be the host of that show? One of, one of the main reasons that made sense was Angela knows the industry at an elite level. So I think you need somebody that is really an SME. Now, of course, you could you could do this in a way where it's maybe you have a, a good host and, and maybe you're bringing interviews on and so forth, but you're also waiting to get good guests every time. I mean, we certainly could do that, but we wanted to get off to a fast start in the regard that we've got all this knowledge in her head. She's talking about it every week. We're in the rooms with her. Let's share it. Let's pull back the curtain on some of the things that we're doing and hope that in doing so, people see that we're trying to build, grow, you know, better define what this community and industry looks like going forward. And she's just the perfect person to do that. She's well, she's outspoken. She's well-connected in the industry. So I think it's absolutely important. One other small piece of that, right, is just psychologically having access to someone at that level of an organization is amazing. It's key, right? Like I, I can't remember the statistic out there, but having access, quote unquote, to someone that is on the C-suite or president of the company or a founder, the value that they deliver holds more water. You know, it, it just, it speaks louder than if it were just me coming from an outside industry, right? And maybe I'm two or three weeks in and I just decide, hey, look, we need a podcast and I'm jumping on there. That's not going to hit, you know? And so I think that's a great question. It, it, like, I think also the book Founder Brand by Dave Gerhart also sort of just reconfirmed that for me because that's what I do as a content person. I don't want to have to rethink the wheel and translate everything out of someone else's head when they could just do it themselves. And, you know, you're skipping all those things that could take place in between. Let's get it straight from the source. And I think that's, you know, just an amazing thing that we've been able to do. But also the fact that she's bought into that and is excited about that is also part of that deal as well. Yeah, excellent. Well, in the time that we have left, Drew, I wanted to ask if you're open to a little bit of a rapid fire, rapid fire question, Q&A session. Some of these questions could be a little bit random, but I, I would just like you to give the first answer that pops into your head. Are you up for it? How, how long of an answer are you looking for? I'm up for it. Okay. Well, as short or as long as you want it to be, but I might, I might okay. uh, ask for follow-ups. Okay. From okay. the channels that you're currently using as part of your marketing at Lasso, pick three to kiss, marry, or kill. So Ooh. what are they? Kiss, marry, and kill. That's a great question. Um, kiss, I would say, is probably PPC. I think we've just got some more opportunity to own keywords, 
own category, define what that is, and capture what's already there at, mm-hmm. at a stand. So I think we've still got some of that left because of the vastness of the uh, the target market. Mary, I would say anything that is video-based or a live session of some sort. I, I know that's a little bit broad. And I don't know if that's even uh, what you would call a channel, right? But anything that fosters personalization mm-hmm. and authenticity and these kind of conversations where you're in the community, I'm in the community, and we can really just have a conversation about what's working, what's not, where we want to see things go, where we don't, and really just bubble those things up. So a lot of what I just talked about. And then kill. Look, I have nothing against email, but at the same time, I I think I'm killing email just because I know as a company, especially like when I first joined, right, we had to use email to rebound from the COVID layoff, right? We had to use it a lot, you know, more than I would have liked, but it was it was a necessary evil. I just think right now you get so many emails. It's so it's so tough to nail down. And look, I get that email, you know, the ROI behind it is great. But at the same time, it's so hard to differentiate right now via email. Your, your inboxes are just slammed. So I would probably say email for kill. Emails on the chopping block. All right. Yeah. Okay. Next question is, uh, who do you have weekly one-on-one meetings with and what do you normally discuss in those meetings? So I have weekly one-on-ones with everybody that I directly manage. I have a one-on-one as well with my boss. I think those meetings are really a great time for, um, for example, if, if it's with my direct reports, the people that are reporting to me, it's really their time. You know, wh- what do you guys want to talk about? Are there any roadblocks that I can remove for you? Are, are there opportunities that we're missing? Do you have any ideas that you want to bubble up? Do we need to talk through your priorities and, you know, just talk through your list of like 10 things and maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed on where you started, what's most important right now. That's what we talk about. I also like to talk about and understand where they're going in their career. That's super important to me because I think when I was at a lower level, I loved the ability to share that. And if my boss didn't you know, sort of ask for it, it felt a little bit like I had to hide it sometimes. I, I just think a great boss is really constantly trying to raise their people up. And so I try to I try to walk that line as much as I can and really understand where they're trying to go in their career. For my boss, it's it's the same, right? Like what do I have on my list that I either want to clarify or crystallize in terms of my priorities, keeping her on the know of things that are, you know, super important, reporting. You know, if we're just talking about individual projects or campaigns that we have going on, I would say my boss is a little bit different. She's she is the president and CRO, but she also understands marketing. So some of those conversations she understands marketing and she's an advocate for marketing. And so some of those conversations are probably more marketing based than, you know, maybe other opportunities that are out there. But I enjoy that because for me, it's important to have somebody in the company that knows more than me. You know what I mean? Somebody, Mm -hmm. somebody that I feel like I can learn from. And look, I, I think that's also the difficult part about being on a small team is if you don't have that person there, it's tough, right? Because you're putting a lot of eggs in the basket of trying to self-educate and learn yourself. And there's always a need for that, but you need somebody that you can learn from. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, my one-on-ones are very much about the person and their responsibilities. And on my side, just sharing where we're at as a team, what we're striving toward and making sure that alignment's there with my boss. Mm-hmm. Great. Next yeah. question for you, Drew. Do you click on Google ads in search results <laughs> or do you skip them? If I hate the company, I'm clicking it. Oh, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You know, yeah, I skip them, man. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I think the other reason too is when I think about most of the time why I'm doing it, like let's just put it this way. If I heard about Lasso and I type in Lasso and I see an ad for Lasso versus their website, I'm clicking the website. I also know as a marketer that the ad is going to take me probably to a different landing page, right? And has a different motivation behind it. Whereas I'm just using it for, I'm just using it to find the website and self-discover. So I think that's a great question. Yeah. Okay. Next question is, what do you think about outbound marketing? Is it, does it work or is it in decline? Yeah, I I don't want to say it's completely dead because look, there's there there are probably some industries that it still works. I just haven't been around them or I haven't been in them. So for mm-hmm. me, I'm more against it. I think anything now that you can do, there are so many opportunities to warm up, you know, someone or have them exposed to your brand prior to having any conversation now that it, it really isn't necessary. The return on how many people that takes to get through to to actually have interest is wild, right? Because if I've got a list of ten thousand people I'm gonna email and I'm asking them to look at my product and maybe do a demo, I'm probably getting one or two out of a thousand. Let's just be honest, right? And, and yeah. who knows if they're if they're actually qualified. So I think the return on it is just so low. Yeah. Okay. If you could have only one app on your phone, what would it be? Dang. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Maybe LinkedIn right now. I don't know. Yeah. I you know, like LinkedIn right now, it was an app that I never really used until this year. And now that I'm posting on there and I, I visit it daily and there's just so much good content being shared there, that's really a main source of education and learning for me as well as sharing. So I'm on there pretty frequently throughout the day. Yeah. LinkedIn, LinkedIn is great. That's a good answer. All right, Drew. Well, that's the end of the rapid fire or wasn't, wasn't that rapid really, but changed things up a bit. So I really appreciate you being here. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you, that you wished I would have asked you, or is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? Oh, love it. Um, yeah, I just, I actually just posted about this today. You know, I think as marketers, we fall into the trap of seeing what everybody else is doing and sort of falling in line, you know, but the great thing about marketers is most of us are creative people. You know, there are a lot of good thoughts, a lot of good intuition, a lot of creativity that can be had. And some of it gets squashed in the nature of just trying to emulate what somebody else is doing or copy what's working. We don't even know if it's actually working, right? Like we don't have insights and data into most organizations in terms of, oh, I saw this awesome creative ad or this campaign or they're doing this. Well, we actually don't know if that works. I just would challenge other marketers to continue to think outside the box. When you do see something you like, really process it and make it your own. And don't be afraid to do something that other people aren't doing. I know that can feel a little bit wild and out of water, but that's what great marketing is. To be memorable, you got to do something that other people aren't doing. And so I would just challenge anybody listening to this, any marketers that are listening to this, that you know, really let that sink in and take the time that you need to not be distracted so you can think about what those things are. Great. That's a great way to close it out, Drew. And I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to keeping in, in touch. Thanks very much for, for being with us today. Thanks, Paris. It was, it was a blast, man. I'm glad I survived the rapid fire. Oh, yeah, you did great. <laughs> All right, Drew, have a great day ahead then. Thanks, Paris. You too. Bye. Bye. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.